You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, Are You Happy Podcast. Today I'm here with Gabby Patton. She's from Texas. She's in the school industry. Um, she's been in schools for 12 years now in administration and been doing consulting for around 15 years. Um, her goal is to help businesses with their um, employee retention by doing things like focusing on diversity, um, employee engagement, and all sorts of other things to just keep employees happy, like mental health. Um, so Gabby, would you mind taking it away and just giving our audience a chance to learn how you got here, um, like a little bit of background on teaching and administration, and then get into um, your new consulting business? I would love to. So um, the way that I started was I was a teacher. I graduated undergrad um, from my alma mater, Azusa Pacific. And I joined Teach for America because I was a political science and sociology major, and I had no idea what I was going to do with those degrees. Um, So I went into Teach for America. I became a teacher in uh, inner city San Antonio. And I, while there, had a horrible time my first year specifically. Um, I just, I didn't have any support. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to teach. I didn't know where to get resources. Um, And it became very clear that we had to figure that out on our own. Um, Yes, there's professional development. Yes, there are things that you can go to. But if you don't know what those things mean... (laughs) it's hard to participate, you know? So, um, really early on, I, as a teacher, I started getting together with other teachers to find outside resources and learn how to be better teachers on our own, which kind of just turned into a collaboration type of environment that we spread to other schools. And then, um, I realized that that was a huge problem in every school is that teachers were being extremely, I mean, for lack of a better word, mistreated um, by every part of the system. And so I wanted to help schools retain teachers and I wanted to help teachers feel supported. And so I kind of traveled through the administration route and became a principal and started launching schools. Um, during COVID, I was launching a campus at the, at the announcement of COVID, I was being announced as a launching principal. And so going through that, I really learned about like psychological safety, learned about how to retain a staff during such a tumultuous time, especially when you're asking so much of them. Um, and then started to realize like, this is like much bigger than just, you know, uh, employee of the month, right? Like teachers need to feel supported, developed, have leadership pathways. And that required a lot of proactive planning. Um, and so eventually that transitioned into helping a startup through a mutual connection, um, with their systems and procedures and their scaling as they were attempting to scale their business. Um, and that brought about, understanding that we need to go into what we now call DEIB or diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, and teaching, well, coaching leaders, how to like have an empathetic mindset, how to look at employees as people, how to transition, um, what employees want and need into 
proactive long-term plans. And so now that's where I try to work with both schools and businesses to develop a culture of employees and uh, what I like to call like a competent culture, one that like cares, considers, and is constantly trying to better itself. What do you think is like the number one thing to, um, to do in terms of like employer retention with like start, like for example, a startup that you worked with, like what did you mm-hmm. learn that had to be done um, with them specifically? I mean, first and foremost was I there, I needed the executive staff to have data on how their employees felt. What I heard a lot when I went in and how I always start is by asking employees just one-on-one, what do you like? What do you wish you could change about where you are currently? And then I will trend those things and give them to the executive team or whoever is working with their HR. And nine times out of 10, the executive team or the hiring team have never done that. And so they they make assumptions about what their team wants or what their team needs without ever having spoken to them. And so because of that, they begin telling themselves stories in their head, which we all do, right? If we don't have information, we fill that gap with our own information. And they start to tell themselves, my employees need this, my employees need that. My employees are distressed or disgruntled because of X, Y, or Z. And rarely is that a reflection of them. (laughs) So the first thing that I do is I go in and I do this survey of, of what the staff really, really wants and what they really enjoy. And then when I present that data, we go from there. Um, But overwhelmingly, it is executives assuming that they know (laughs) what their staff needs and wants, and they operate from that. And so they could be doing a lot of great things. It could be a lot of incentives and investment and opportunities and things like that. And it's not at all what the company wants, the, the employees want. So yeah, that mindset there. And then I've noticed outside of education predominantly, uh, heavy, heavily structured teams. So like we are the executive, this is the CEO, COO, CMO, and they're very closed off. That whole business is a bit murky. And so really like trying to like penetrate that uh, wall between I'm the executive and you're the employee is another thing that we really have to work on, especially, especially with Gen Z coming into the work field. Um, they ask better questions than I ever asked as an interviewer. And I find like a lot of times these like executives who are my age or older, like just don't know how to handle it. And so they don't, they don't handle it. They say what they need to say to hire the employee. And then the employee comes in and they become extremely disgruntled because everything that they asked and were told isn't being given or they're being given the, the runaround of like, Oh, it'll happen eventually. So, you know, uh, those are really the prevalent things and they all have to do with mindset of leadership. So. Pretty awesome. So you're not only working with like the employees, but you're trying to work with the executives on teams as well. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Trying to like create, you know, 
there's a lot of people, a lot of individuals who do what they call happiness consulting, which is going in and like giving strategies about how to increase employee engagement. What I try to do is shift mindsets of leaders to understand that it's their responsibility to foster those environments and that you have to develop them. You have to plan them very carefully that they need to be rooted in data. They need to be trackable um, and replicable. And so that's my main goal is to go in and affect change at the leadership level because that's where it starts. However, as I just mentioned, mindset is a huge thing. So making sure that the company that we're going into is able to say like, yes, I recognize there's a problem. My employees aren't happy. I've tried things and it's not working. And being able to sit back and be like, okay, I'm part of the problem. How do I fix the problem? Yeah. Um, What have you found in terms of the like education space? Um, What like what leads to happiness in those spaces and like retention and like with teachers? I think um, for sure, the biggest thing that I found is that teachers deserve to be... Good morning. Sorry, that's my boss. <laughs> how are you? I'm good. How are you? All right. Good. Perfect. Uh, I have a meeting with Ms. Science today. Yes. But we can meet uh, long later for recruit. Okay. Sounds session. good. Sounds good. Where's... Sorry. That's my superintendent. <laughs> um, uh, so I found that with teachers, the biggest thing when it comes to retention is that teachers need to be developed as a teacher, but also as a professional. And so a lot of times in schools, administrators, administrative systems will just be like, you're a teacher, go teach kids. You know what that means. You have your normal professional development, you train for your content, you train for whatever, whatever, but there's no clear path to growth. There's no clear path to development. There's no clear path to promotion, pay increases, any of those things. And so a lot of times you'll hear people in education say, well, I can't be an administrator because it's about who you know, not what you know. And people say that in every industry. However, education is very like inbred in that it's a very close knit community. And so that is actually true a lot of times. There are people who get passed over um, often because there's a bureau, there's a bureaucratic answer of like this person has seniority, so we're going to promote them. Well, if that teacher had been developed in a way that taught them to be a professional, to ask for a raise in a professional manner, to show data of their um, progress, to show all their accomplishments, they could really become competitive. Um, candidates for those positions, but there's nothing for teachers like that. There are people who go into admin and there are people who don't. There are people who um, teach forever and we call them lifers who never wanted to do that, but they do it because they become comfortable and they don't have any other options because they don't have any other resources. So that's a huge thing is like teaching or coaching and developing the professional in a teacher and then coaching and developing their actual teaching skills. So the thing that I hear the most is I want support for my administrator. I want support. I want support. I want support. Well, what does that look like? It looks like coming into the class, literally doing like real time coaching on a lesson. It's giving feedback on cycles. It's helping them break down data helping them learn how to read data of their students' achievement and interpret that into action. 
And then it's teaching them how to take those skills and apply those to their professionalism and helping them advocate for the things that they want. I've helped teachers negotiate pay raises. I've helped teachers get promoted. I've helped teachers um, create professional learning communities in the schools. And those are the things that show happiness and retention. And then there are other things like I try really, really, I don't try. I know I do. I mean, I try, but I hope I succeed in that like 99% of the time, instead of coaching or developing people through a deficit mindset, going through a, an, a positivity mindset. So finding the thing that they do well, saying, Hey, you do this amazingly. You are incredible at getting student engagement. I want to apply that tenacity that you have to your ability to track their data. Right now, those aren't the same thing. So we just need to build this skill to match this one that you're really good at versus having somebody come into my office and saying, wow, you really suck at managing your data. Like this is shit. And instead of having them, instead of that, coaching from there, that's coaching from deficit, right? And that's developing from deficit. Like, oh, that's demoralizing. That doesn't build anything in anyone. Um, and, you know, really asking myself, like, what did I want as a teacher? I still think about that all these years later is my first year teaching and how hard it was and how invalidated I felt every time I asked for help and everybody was, somebody was just like, suck it up. Like, this is the job. It is the job, but I don't know how to do the job. So help me, you know? So, I mean, those are the really big things, like respecting them as professionals and like honoring their humanity are like the biggest things. If a teacher needs a time off, like I will help them get that time off. If that means I have to go into the classroom, I will go into the classroom. I have no problem doing that because they they deserve that respect. They work their asses off and they deserve to go to the doctor when they need to go to the doctor, you know? Um, so those are the big ones for, for education, for sure. Interesting. Um, so like, I like the way you go about it and not like, not a deficit mindset, but just go up to me like, okay, celebrate whatever accomplishment they have and whatever they're mm -hmm. good at. And then mm -hmm. say that they can be even better of a teacher if they just add this one thing, which is like the data, for example, in the example you gave, um, what would you say is like, I guess my question would be, um, what is like the, what is the education system like in Texas and like, what are some bad things about it and good things about like charter school? Yeah. Um, so the education system in Texas is, um, can I cuss on here? Or no. Yeah, you can, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> the education system in Texas is like entirely fucked. So, um, what first and foremost, uh, uh, like forty-seven states in the in the continental U.S. use something called the Common Core curriculum. Texas and maybe two other states, I think Oklahoma and maybe Massachusetts, maybe don't. I don't think that's right. Anyway, they don't use Common Core. Texas does not use Common Core. We use something called content-based standards. And here they're called TEKS, T-E-K-S. And so the difference between those things is that the TEKS standard is a content-driven standard, which is very much like your SAT, right? It's a standardized question about what you've learned. 
Common Core focuses more on skill building. So students learn how to apply writing skills, summarizing skills, um, literacy skills, mathematics skills to content, and then that is assessed. So the writing open-ended responses versus multiple choice. Common Core is, of course, has its things. Everything does probably more effective because it's more it's a more holistic learning method. Um, and the standard for achievement in Texas is super low. Um, the our standardized test, the star is it's at grade level. Um, so schools that are affluent and have a lot of resources to keep their kids at grade level on track moving forward do really, really well on that assessment. And then they're rewarded by the state with additional funding. Schools that are in high poverty, low socioeconomic um, environments where kids are coming to us with deficits in reading by like three, four years, by math, five, six years, um, not to mention like the trauma from living in poverty, the trauma from um, just the difference in their lives compared to affluent peers. They come to our schools with a lot more and it makes basic education a lot harder. And so they have a much lower passing rate, which they are in turn rewarded by the state with less funding (laughs) and their funding is retracted. Um, And so what I do is I work in charter schools that go into those communities. And the goal is for us to offer the students in the low, um, low achieving, low socioeconomic situation, uh, offer them the same kind of opportunities that their affluent peers would have. So there's that whole part, which is on the uh, the edu- like on the actual content side. But then there's also um, the still like very, very, very prevalent segregation, especially in San Antonio. Um, San Antonio is one of the most segregated cities in the country. And people, I don't think, really think about that very often. Um, but we're such a big city and there are so many like micro cities within that and they have their own way of doing things and they have their own culture and they have, everything is very unique. Um, And it is very well known that anything in South San Antonio, Southeast, Southwest, South Central is going to be, uh, it's always going to be people of color and it's always going to be lower socioeconomic. Uh, the Caucasian population, the affluent population is north, north, central, northeast, northwest. And the you can even see it in the districts. If you drive the 410 loop, you can go from, uh, or let's say the 1604 loop, our outer freeway, you can go from 1604 on the southeast corner and come all the way around. And you can literally see the difference in the schools, in the community. You can see how the city changes. Um, And that is a huge, huge part of uh, Texas, particularly San Antonio's uh, issue with education because um, the funding is allocated that way. And so we have just a lot to deal with in terms of that. And it breeds a lot of uh, rivalry between communities. So there's not a lot of community intersection. And then it creates this need for 
this fabricated need of school choice, which is where my job as a charter school educator gets really convoluted because there are positives and negatives to school choice. There's positives and negatives to opening charter schools. Um, But with the contention between the like kind of classes, school choice looks and sounds a lot different for the affluent community than it does for the lower socioeconomic communities. Um, So that is also a huge, huge problem. And then property taxes. It's the same thing. The how property taxes 100% fund our education system in Texas. And so the more houses and the bigger the houses and the better the property rates, the better the schools. Urban schools, there is not a lot of property development in urban schools. They're apartment complexes, factories, those types of jobs, those types of incomes and less ownership. So there's less funding. And it's very, very evident in even the grounds of the campus. So we have a lot to work around in in Texas. It's um, it's a shame that they're not able to like figure out the funding so that people in these inner cities aren't, are like supported. But um. I don't know. I feel, I always feel really badly for people who are teaching in the inner cities because of like what they go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, it's important work that you do and I'm super excited for you. And I like the, the niche that you're in, that you have this background in like in teaching and like administration and education, and then you're doing like consulting for businesses. So hopefully like those two worlds can collide and you can continue to like consult people on how to build like schools and maybe potentially um, help people with funding um but i really appreciate your time today um thank you again and i want i do want to give you the opportunity to like share with our audience where they can reach you um especially the consulting yeah definitely so um if you need to find me i have a brand new instagram that i started it has uh two pictures on it but it is brand new because i am just now taking this to a place where i'm going to start putting a company behind it. It's something that I've been doing really by word of mouth. Um, And then in the education community, it's pretty known that I do this in this circle. So I haven't really built out my outer facing things, but I do have an Instagram. It's uh, competent cultures consulting. Um, And then on LinkedIn, we have a competent culture site and those link to the website as well, where you can book a consultation um, with me and we'll go over like a preliminary diagnostic of what you're looking at. I can go over what our long-term or short-term plans would be. And then for educators, we can decide if we want to go based on the data, we can build a plan over, um, a quarterly interval, a, or a semesterly interval, or even for a whole year, um, we can start to build plans for how to implement trainings and things like that. So Yeah, you can find it there. And I would also plug that on Competent Cultures, the website, there's resources for teachers who are looking for their own professional and leadership development. We have um, people and coaches who can work with them at a very, very reasonable cost because we know that that's not something teachers want to spend money on, but it's something that they may need. Um, And we also have resume services for transitioning teachers so they can go on there. Um, and get transitioning career devices uh, advice as well. Cause it's, I also understand sometimes you just can't do it anymore. Um, it's really difficult. 
And while I don't want teachers to leave, I do want them to be happy. And so I will do my best to support them. And we have that on there as well. Thank you so much. I do appreciate your time a lot. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I super appreciate it.